It's Sunday, June 9th, and you are listening to In the Wheelhouse. ITW is a spontaneous discussion between two old friends on the Chicago Cubs and other baseball-related topics. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. Today on ITW, Dallas Keuchel and and Craig Kimbrell find homes. Pete Rose refuses to go quietly into that good night. White Sox pitcher Lucas Giolito is in rarefied company, and Tom eats a little crow. All that and the week that was for the Chicago Cubs. Tom, how are you doing? Uh, today I'm about 74%. All right, all right. That's good. Your wife, uh, your wife is out of town. She's in Michigan? She is. She is in Michigan getting our uh, cabin ready for the summer. All right. That's good of her. Good of her. So, so um, you know, I was off. I got off, I guess, uh, a week ago Friday. Right. I've been home this week, and my kids have still been in school. And the great thing about it is I've been able to meet my youngest daughter at the bus stop, which is that would just, be Nora. That would be Nora. That would be Nora, our seven-year-old or six-year-old about to be seven. And uh, what she usually does is she jumps off the bus, hands me her sweatshirt, hands me her backpack, and does cartwheels all the way home <laughs> to our driveway. Now, now, Thursday was their last day. And she gets off the bus and she's crying. And it's not like the kind of crying because the little boy was bullying her or something like that, or somebody tried to hit her. You know, no, she's sobbing uncontrollably. Like she can't even catch her breath. And I know, you know, this is serious. And, and I'm like, what is it? What's the matter? And she says, I, I miss my teacher. And, and she's, yeah, she was really what? upset. What's wrong with her? (laughs) But I thought it was the sweetest thing that she made such a connection with her teacher this year and uh, really kind of, you know, really touched me. Uh, You know, it was very emotional moment for, for, for both Fontana's here. So that was kind of sweet. You know, I I think that's one of those moments that's too bad you didn't get that on video because, you know, someday many years from now, you'll think about that moment. I guarantee you. Well, I mean, we have to, we can't rely on our phones for every little event, but we have to rely on our memory sometimes. But uh, that was you know, quite a, a good one. Uh, so speaking of kids, I have a, a, a friend of mine that I used to be in for years in fantasy football with. His son, who's now a grown man and has kids of his own, just like you, mm. uh, he lives in Atlanta and he is a little league umpire. Oh. And, um, uh, he's been, it's kind of a labor of love for, uh, we're talking about Matthew Dreyer. I don't know if, if you're listening, you probably aren't, but, uh, um, this was something that, uh, you shared with me on Facebook this past week that I thought was really a great story. Um, so over the past weekend, he was, uh, umpiring a game and apparently an older guy came up to him, um, kind of in a huff about one of his calls that he had made at home plate. And he politely told the guy, I can only talk to the head coach. I know you're the grandfather of this kid. That's great, but you have to go back to your seat. And if, if, the, if the head coach wants to dispute it, he's more than welcome to. So the old man did, was very respectful. He went, went back, and the fans started laughing. And, and uh, Matt was like, what the heck was going on? It turns out that that man was Phil Necro. Oh, God. Man. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> And, and so 
they they had a great chat after the game and and uh, Phil autographed some stuff for him I think um, that's awesome and that is but awesome. Uh, it turns out Negro was a great guy but I thought that was kind of hilarious of all guys the Negro brothers have no room to be disputing any calls uh, <laughs> the knuckleballers that's hilarious <laughs> so I thought that was kind of an interesting story so uh, are you going to watch any of the uh, women's World Cup uh, absolutely uh, you know yeah. I'm a, I, I'm a basically my love for soccer really kicked in in that summer of 99 when the women when the u.s women's really exerted themselves as the best uh female team on the planet one of the best soccer teams on the planet quite frankly um and so ever since then i've i've pretty much watched all of the uh, women's world cup i certainly watched in 2015 when they won um and so, yeah, I, watch, I actually watched parts of a, two games yesterday. I'm, I'm just a, I just like good, watching good soccer. Yeah, me and, too. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that the, that the U.S. Uh, ladies are going to be challenged this year by the French. The French are yeah. favored to win. You know, um, 538 actually did a odds on who will win, and they picked the U.S. to come in second, which I'm fine with that. Um, and so there's a couple there's a couple of young gals to watch out, but there's one phenom, a Mia Ham. I can't think of her name, um, uh, but she's 21 years old, and she's actually not even a starter. She's going to be a bench wow. player for this uh, World Cup. But when she comes in the game, she's allegedly electrifying. So yes, I will be watching the women's World Cup. Well, the thing I like, I just want to say that the thing I love about the women's World Cup is is that I love I love watching an American team playing soccer that actually has a chance to win the whole thing. You know what I mean? And, and it's just unlike the American men's team, which, you know, you well, the Ameri- the Ameri- make it to the knockout round. The American men have gotten a lot better over the last but, 10 or 15 years. But they years. still have no chance. Right. But, the but the women actually know what they're doing. They yeah, actually, they, do. They, do. they play a style of, of soccer that other teams try to emulate. Yeah. And that, that's something that the men, the men are basically, have always tried to be like, in my opinion, either the Argentines or yeah. the, the Spaniards and without much uh, success uh, or limited success, I should say. I, I really do think that they've gotten a lot better, but it's just nowhere near it's, where it yeah, should no. be. It's not where it should be. You're right. And, 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 and I'm just glad that, uh, that the women, you know, are, are so good. And I'll certainly be cheering them on. One of the more oh, yeah. emotional moments I ever had watching a soccer match was when the U.S. lost to Japan. Yeah. In the finals, and this was right after Japan had had that horrible earthquake and tsunami. Right. That was just unbelievable. I mean, how happy the Japanese team was, you know, just yeah. giving their country yeah. this moment of joy. All right, so enough about things that are non-baseball related. Let's <laughs> move on to the fact that uh, we'll, we'll talk about Keg, Craig Kimbrell in, in, when we get to the Cubs stuff. But the Braves signed Dallas Keuchel to a one-year $13 million contract. So, uh, I mean, do you think this is good for the Braves? Well, it's, it's almost like Dallas didn't want to shave off his beard because really the front runner was the Yankees. And if yeah. he went to the Yankees, he, he would have had, had to yeah. lose. It, it came down to, it's my understanding, the Yankees and the Braves. Uh, kind of an interesting um, play by the Braves, in my opinion, only because really, uh, obviously, they needed started pitching. That just goes without saying. It's just when, I, when you see moves like this, it makes me wonder – do the Braves really think that they're going to beat Philadelphia? And, and evidently they do, because even though they're, as we sit here today, they're only two games behind them, their, their starting pitching has been 
a mixed It's been bag. terrible. Yeah. It, it, well, it's yeah. not, you know, again, they're only two games behind, and uh, they are seven, seven games over 500. That's pretty good. Uh, they're actually very close to, to the Cubs uh, from a statistical standpoint. So it, it's, it, the Braves must see something just like the Cubs see something in Kimbrell. I think the Braves must think that, um, you know, that's going to put them over the top. And so when you, when you go and look at what Fangraphs has to say, they actually project them now to win that division. However, they projected them to win the division at the start of the season. You and I did not. I picked Philly. You picked Washington. But I had it, we both had Atlanta winning the wild card. I still think that's how it's going to shake out. Um, but, you know, the other thing about Keuchel is, is he's got a lot of mileage on the arm, so it'll be interesting to see how he – does now granted he doesn't have to face a dh like he had to in the in the american league but uh it's a somewhat of a head scratcher not so much that the braves got him it's about the other teams that didn't get him you know what i mean you talked about teams like the twins and the yankees and uh the brewers uh and the cardinals these were all teams that in in fact i think you thought the brewers and the cardinals should have gone after them they should have gone after and we're going to talk about what position this really puts them in, you know, but I think it's a good move for Atlanta to get Keuchel and it does help them. And it addresses their largest area of weakness because, you know, a lot of the guys who were really good last year on their starting rotation, yep. just weren't, they just haven't been as good. They haven't. And, and like Foytevich is, is yep, one yep. that really comes to mind. That's right. So, they cite him. So, so, and I think that when you look at the national league East right now, the Phillies can be had, I think. They have a lot of injuries. They are not maybe as good as we thought. Uh, they still have problems on defense. Harper has been okay, but uh, I think the Phillies are a flawed team. And it, I think it, that the Braves can get them. The NL East is the second tightest division outside of our, our central division in all of baseball. So mm-hmm. you're 100% right. It's up for grabs for all the way from Washington, and even the Mets are in play. Yeah, so. even the Mets can still win it. And, yep. and, you know, so we'll see. That'll be a yep. lot of fun to watch. All right, so moving on, uh, there was this nonsense with – there's been this nonsense with uh, Pittsburgh Pirates broadcasters. Yeah. Uh, no kidding. Like John Wiener was very critical of Derek Dietrich's, you know, sort of the fun that he likes to have right. on the baseball field. But now Steve Blass uh, has been criticizing Ronald Acuna Jr., and his gold chains. And I, this, I, I listened to the little segment where he was critical of him. And he I was talking too. about his gold chains yep, and, yep. and his, I, I, what is going on here? That's it's like a dog whistle yeah, uh, it is. Ra- racism thing. Um, and Blast, you know, you should be very careful because uh, Acuna in his short time in the majors is better than you, than you ever were as a pitcher. And you were yeah. a pretty good pitcher, but Acuna is a special player. And unless those gold chains get in the way of his ability to, to do what he does best, which is be a five-tool player, you know, Steve and John, shut the hell up. And maybe you guys need to go quietly into the night. <laughs> no, you're right. And, you know, I've always admired Steve Blass. He was the winning pitcher in the last game of the World Series in 1971. And, right. And, you know. 71, I mean. So, and. I've admired him, and he had a lot of struggles uh, throwing strikes, and it kind of was a mental thing, and it yeah. ushered him out of the game, really. But but when you look at his recent comments, and, and you're absolutely right. It, it's racism, pure and simple. And we've done so much to kind of eliminate 
racist attitudes from the game, but, yeah. but it's like that smell in your basement yeah. that you just can't get rid of. <laughs> right. you know, no matter right. how many applications of Murphy's oil soap you, you, you use, it's it, still there. It, 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 it's a mirror of society that we're living in today, too, that, that these old, basically white men feel empowered to make comments like this. Uh, you see, uh, and unfortunately, you see much worse um, in regular society, but I just think that, like you said, baseball's done a really good job of of, of trying doing their best to eliminate this from from the game of baseball. And when it it occurs, it's almost like the spousal abuse. Yeah. They kind of they kind of jump all over it, and and at least are, are really to me, this is all about the kids of tomorrow, the players of tomorrow that are kids today are watching. They yeah. are watching pay attention and, and do the right thing. And I think quite honestly, Blast got away with this comment because they, the pirates aren't really going to do anything about it. No, they just sort of shrug their shoulders and right. say, well, what did he really say? But, right. but there's, you can tell what's going on here and, and, and it's not pleasant. No, it's All not. right. So speaking of someone else, who's not very pleasant in my opinion, <laughs> uh, Pete Rose has a new book, play hungry, the yeah. making of a baseball player. Now this is just, from an article I read in USA Today, yeah. but uh, he, he writes that the ball is juiced right. and that the quality of modern pitchers is at an all-time low. And uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm rubbish. Very, yeah, rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. The pitchers are better than they were when you you faced them, buddy. You they go face, harder, go, go face Lucas Chiel later. Go face Sale. Go face Max Scherzer, yeah. Pete Rose, oh. and see you're going to get your dumpy little singles. Yeah. You know what, uh, Pete? Your head is juiced. You're, is, you're mushy. Um, the only good thing that came out of this whole book tour was when he was interviewed by Fox Business, um, uh, which totally makes sense because he seems like he's one of those guys that would fit perfectly on Fox uh, News. Yeah. Uh, but basically he says what I feel is going to happen to him, which is he will be, enter the hall when he dies. And, and now he's, for the first time in his life, he's, He's come, you know, he's 78 years old. He doesn't, my yeah. guess is he's probably got five to seven years left on the, on the mortal coil. So, uh, you know, they're always going to put a microphone in this guy's face. So we're always going to have to be subject to it. But finally, he did speak some truth. And that is, he will get into the hall after he dies. And, and the other thing, too, is that he does at least take some responsibility. He says that he yes, was the one yes. who messed up, which, you know, Honestly, that's huge for Pete to admit that. That is absolutely huge. But but but, uh, it, but he's like a rat in the corner. He has to say that. He knows what what basically what you know, all of baseball and and all the writers have said. You know, he he's never taken ownership for what. Yeah, right. And he's still gambling. And he still was gambling as of a couple of years ago when this thing was re-adjudicated. I just think Pete, it's it's a debt. You like you've said many times. It's it, there's nothing else new to report. You know, it's it is what it is. Well. If he had said it 35 years ago, he yes. might be in the Hall of Fame right now. You know what I mean? And and that's I, all I just, he had to do, Leo. That's really that, yeah. when when Giamato, uh, <clears throat> Giamatti said to him, "This is what's happening." They told they notified him in advance what was going to happen to him. That's all he had to do was was to fall to his knees and beg for forgiveness. He refused to do it. Yeah, he would be in there now. All right, so there's been some speculation on some possible trades, and right. the, the the one I want to discuss 
is uh, the possibility of Zach Greinke from the Arizona Diamondbacks going to the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, or any other frontline pitcher like Max Scherzer or somebody else like that. Ma- Madison Baumgartner. Is Madison Baumgartner. Yeah, any of the great frontline pitchers who are playing for bad teams very well might end up in St. Louis. And, and yeah. I think as Cubs fans, that's a concern. Yeah, it's troubling. <laughs> it is troubling. But I think that the fact that the Cubs went out and got Kimbrel really put the Cardinals in a terrible, terrible position. Right. You know, the, the Cardinals are absolutely desperate right now. When you read and hear some of the rhetoric they've talked about all year, how they're all in to win it and we've got a better team. And, you know, yeah. they, they really don't. They've had a lot of problems. The one thing that they might be able to do to improve the club is bring in a guy like, like Granke. But I, I tell you, it smacks of desperation and desperation is bad for baseball. Well, it's bad when you're a team and you feel as though you must make a move like this, even though it's interesting to me when you look at this list of players from Trevor Brower all the way down to Will Smith, there's no reference of the Brewers at all. It's all about the Cardinals. And quite honestly, to me, the the Brewers and the Cardinals have the same issue. The Cardinals' best pitcher right now is is Wainwright. That's that's kind of scary. Wainwright is – you know, 2010 called. They want their baseball card He's, back. You know, I, I just think that he should be starting an old timers game. I mean, right, it, right. It, it, he pitched so, extremely well last Sunday. We'll talk about did, that. Um, but, you know, Granky, it, it, it's very interesting. I don't want to see Granky come to the Central Division. He's, no. He, he's, he's, it, the thing is, the Cubs have either hit him hard or he has been Cy Young against him. Mostly he's been Cy Young against him. It's one, this rare once in a while against Zach, they've, they've hit him. Um, but everything's upside down. The things that were supposed to happen, you know, with the Cardinals, especially with like Goldsmith, have, haven't happened yet. They have things, not happened. You know, yeah. they, the, last night they interviewed Adam Wainwright on, on Fox News. We'll talk about that. But he basically said that they still think they're going to win 100 games. You guys are dreaming. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. dreaming. They are dreaming. It, it is, uh, it seems irrational at this point. And you never know what's going to happen. I mean, they could catch fire, but, but they have not hit like they were expected to. And they right. haven't pitched like they've expected to. And they're playing good defense, though. Playing yeah, good defense. playing better which... <laughs> defense, and they're probably running the bases better. But I think when you compare them to Milwaukee, I think Milwaukee's a much better team. Without a doubt. Know? So, Without anyway. All right. So, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, one of right. our favorite players. Yep. He's out for the year with a torn ACL. This really hurts the Phillies because he was leading off for them. He was productive. Yep. You know, he's this veteran who kind of keeps things going. I think it's going to be difficult for McCutcheon to come back from this. But I think it, in, in the short term, it really hurts the Phillies. All those things are true. It was a, it was a really kind of uh, grisly injury running the bases, too. I, yeah. As a guy that's had two uh, – reconstructive knee surgeries on my uh, patella tendons. I only watched knee injuries once. I never yeah, watched yeah. replays of it. Um, <laughs> it drives me crazy. Um, but the, the Phillies wisely went out and got Jay Bruce like 14 minutes later. Yeah, and, and, and Bruce immediately started contributing. Now, he's not McCutcheon as far as McCutcheon's defense goes. And I think overall um, McCutcheon was things, leading the league in walks. You know. McCutcheon is one of those quiet leaders on the team too. Yeah. He's a, he's very well respected in the clubhouse. Whereas nothing against Jay Bruce, but he's kind of a yeah. hired gun. Yeah. I mean, and McCutcheon is funny. You know, yeah. he's, he's just a really great guy to have in the club. This, this, this hurt, you know, yep. this really did hurt. All right. So let's move on to um, a Yankees minor league, minor league hitter. Yep. Receives death threats. After he tries to bunt, 
to break up a no-hitter. You have some thoughts on this? Yeah, well, this is kind of a serious story in the sense that um, uh, the uh, Hartford uh, Goats against the Trenton Thunder, some of these, these Thunder know, League teams, it. it's, it's comical. I love it. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I, I always wanted to have a team called, like, you know, the Kalamazoo Balloon Knots. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, uh, this is a serious matter because this has come up before at the major league level. So if a pitcher is pitching a no-hitter and it's a single pitcher in a game, Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's a one-to-nothing game or something like that. I think it's rude to, tr- to use the bunt in the ninth inning if you up to that point you guys can't get a hit. However, if it's a three- or four-pitcher no-hitter and it's a three-to-nothing game and you're leading off the ninth trying to get on base, that's a different story. That is a different story. And, and, and the result of this was, um, you know, the, the – um, uh, the, the the bench is clear. They got into a fist fight over it. I saw wow. the video of it. Some fan on Twitter actually took a film of it. I'm like, are you kidding me? This ultimately resulted in a bet. There, there's something is not right in uh, in Trenton. Um, uh, you know when this kind of stuff happens, and uh, it's just kind of it, there's certain unwritten rules in baseball. You don't try to bunt and break up a no hitter in certain circumstances, or a, certainly a perfect game, but. But I think in this particular case, when you've got this many pitchers involved, it's not really what I call no, a no-hitter. No, not, it's not a no-hitter. I mean, the fans probably wanted to see it happen. But in the end, a multiple-pitcher no-hitter, you know, a, a game where several pitchers have come in. It's called an asterisk. It's called an asterisk. And, and I'll tell you, it, it's just – it's in the minor leagues. Who cares? Come right. on. Well, I mean, just, I think at any level, you have to follow the proper protocol of baseball, though. I just think, you know, there's – in other words, what your guy you, – you hit your guy, we're going to hit your – you hit our guy, we're going to hit your guy. There's certain unwritten rules of baseball. you got to follow that protocol. Perhaps. All right. So, the White Sox, the Chicago White Sox, who yep. we don't talk about maybe as much as we should, but they get to within a game of 500 – and then they dropped three straight. <laughs> right, so, right. Uh, and then, so Lucas Giolito came in and, and stopped the bleeding when he beat the Royals two to nothing the other day. But, but Lucas yesterday. Giolito, yesterday, yes. Yeah. But Lucas Giolito and Steve Carlton have something in common. Perhaps you care to elaborate. Yeah, yeah. so I watched the game yesterday. Once I see the Giolito's pitching and, and I'm around, I'll, try, I'll watch him pitch. He's, he's won, I think, seven or eight starts. Uh, in a row, he's currently nine and one. But the interesting thing about Giolito is that he's coming into the discussion of my one of my favorite baseball statistics of all time, and that is, in 1972, the Philadelphia Phillies won 59 baseball games, and Steve Carlson won 27 of them. Yeah, that's 46 yeah. percent of the games won. That is. To me, it is right up there with with uh, Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's just it's 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 mind boggling that a team that bad had a pitcher that was that good. Now the yeah. the Sox are not quite as bad as uh, that Philadelphia team was, and it actually kind of puts a spotlight on uh, what they're doing on the South Side. And if and if they hadn't have made that run at uh, Machado, I would say you know Reinsdorf. There's a reason why Esquire just picked the, the top uh, 31 owners in baseball. Or 30, yeah, 31 owners in baseball. And you came into 29th place. Wow. Uh, yeah, exactly. Wow. And the Ricketts were in fourth place. But, and again, that's just one of those clickbait things. You just, yeah. For Esquire, it doesn't mean anything. But it, it kind of underscores the fact that, that Reinsdorf 
has not done a very good job. And we, you and I talked two or three years ago, watch out for the White Sox. They are going to be a powder keg. To, to, they're going to be, you're going to have to reckon with this team. And it just really hasn't happened up to this no, point. And the reason happened. why is because they had all, all this, this, they assimilated all of this, this young talent, but they haven't gone out and got any great free agents. No. Like right now, Giolito is, has replaced – he's 9-1. and one. He's got a two ERA. I watched the game yesterday. He had a career-high 11 strikeouts. He's only getting better. He's masterful. Yeah. And, and the fact is, you know, Reinsdorf put some other test pieces around this guy. Bill, yeah. You know, this, look, you're not going to win it this year. But if you guys don't get really active in the offseason, we'll shame on you. If I, you you talked a couple weeks ago about the, the fans' support in, in Chicago. Yeah. I completely agree with the White Sox fans. Put a product on the field. Get some good players to support this great young pitcher. You got a Cy Young, a, a, a future winner on your hands. You know, I don't know. Just do a better yeah, job. Do a better job. Yeah. yeah. All those things are true. All those things are true. And they do have a, an interesting young team. I wish – they were a little better. I wish yeah. they had gotten Machado, you know, but uh, it, it as it turns out, out Giolito, as, as everything holds, he'll be very close to 30% of the wins for the team. And wow. that's in the modern game. That's unbelievable. That's crazy. Can you, but, but thinking back to that year uh, with Carlton, yeah. I mean, can you imagine he could have won 32 games? You know what I he, mean? He could, he had 30 complete games. Jeez. 30, 30, 30. <laughs> that's, I mean, just he to had, even he had forty he this. had forty one starts going on three days rest the whole season. Wow! Yeah, Hall people 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 do not talk about how great that what a what an achievement that was. But I really believe that that's right up there with Dimaggio's fifty six games. All right, so let's move on to the Chicago Cubs, and I yes. want to begin with um, the fact that Todd Ricketts. This is the father of Tom Ricketts. Yeah, who's part of the ownership group of the Chicago Cubs? No, Todd Rick. Todd Ricketts is one of the sons. Oh, it's one of the sons. Okay. Yeah, that's Tom's, so, bro- all, Tom's but, brothers. But, but the Ricketts family yes. is, are the co-owners of the of the. Team. That's right. That's right. And Todd Ricketts, who's Tom Ricketts' brother, organized a fundraiser for Donald Trump yeah. at Wrigley Field, right. and uh, and a segment of Cubs fans has been putting out on Twitter and Facebook and everything that you know they're gonna boycott the team and they're not going to go to any more games and they're going to become White Sox fans. And the only thing I have to say to this is, are you fuck? Are you, are you fucking goofy? Or I know. I this know. Is, uh, I, I know. You're, 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 it, this, it's almost like fake news. It really it, is. It, it, the, the, the reality is, is that Ricketts is the chairman for the reelect Trump campaign, which you can say whatever you want about that, but it's his right, just like every citizen's right, um, to 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 hold a fundraiser, to go to a game, to get a private suite. That's a, and that's what they did. They had a private suite with big, big, high rolling donors that support this lying racist. That's their choice. But they, he should have the right to do it. If, it's, if, it's, yeah. This is crazy. The Cubs fans, shut the hell up. You're 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 actually acting just like them. You are acting just like them. And the funny thing is, is that uh, you know if there is a Cubs fan out there who's going to give up their season tickets. And boycott the Cubs for the rest of the year. Please call me so I can go so, so I can use your freaking tickets. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, and, and you're talking to somebody who hates Donald Trump right, as me too. much as anyone. Right. But the thing right. is, I love baseball more than anyone, and I'm not going to let something I hate 
get in a, get in the way or interfere with something that I love. Okay. But but beyond that, there's a bigger issue here. This is America. You have the yeah. right to do that. I he would, in fact, yeah. as much as I dislike their positions and their side, I would fight in a war for their right to do it. That's exactly. what America is based on. This is and, just crazy. And and you know, if you look back, there are owners, there are owners all throughout the history of baseball That's have right. supported right wing candidates. Charlie Comiskey. Charlie Comiskey has been one. Of, you know, Marge Schott, Jake Rupert. It just right. goes on the original and Nazi on. Marge and Schott. On and on and on. Please go away. What, what about Yawkey in Boston? Yeah. Go and I'll bet you twenty bucks that Jerry Reinsdorf. Is is a is probably a Trump supporter as well, yeah, or has contributed money. I don't know, but the I, point I, is, is that it doesn't. I don't matter. know why you would, but yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't matter. They have every right to do that, just like those crazy Nazis, and and they have the right to gather and, and do the stuff. Don't show up. Don't don't yeah. pay them no mind. That if you don't like it, look the other way. But it's their right to do it. This is America. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it's it, anyway. All right, so but on to some good news. The, the Cubs address their most glaring weakness. Yeah, and that is that of a, a weak bullpen and, and their inability to close out uh, leads in the ninth inning. And they signed Craig, Craig Kimbrell, formerly of the uh, Boston Red Sox and then of the Atlanta Braves, three years, forty-five million dollars. They got him as soon as the draft was over, so they wouldn't have to give up a draft pick to get him. I mean. I'm really excited about this. I didn't think this was going to happen until a week ago, and then I knew it was going to happen. I, I think this is great. You know, I, I, yeah, me too. Uh, Kimbrell's one of the top ten relief pitchers of all time. I do think he's on the back end of his career, but still, we need all – first of all, I've always thought Pedro Strope was the eighth-inning pitcher. I never yeah, thought he was a closer. Yeah. And so the idea that he'll resume that role – makes the Cubs formidable. But the, 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 basically, the Cubs got him as a – got Kimbrell at a steal because if, if – and Ben Zobris plays into this. If Zobris doesn't return this year, he's on, he's on uh, leave, unpaid leave. Uh, you know, they're not paying him. That, so they're not. They, if, if he doesn't come back this year, that's $9 million. That basically – we get Kimbrell as an – I would take Kimbrell in a trade for Zobris yeah. anyways. Any so, day, yeah. Any yeah. day. So – this is a really smart, shrewd move by um, a, one of the one of the best front offices in all of baseball. I've well, been very critical of, of of last week, the last couple of weeks. I've been critical that he's that they haven't done anything to materially change the team. Well, this materially changes the team. This yeah. is this is Chapman all over again. Chapman light, I would say. It's not quite as good as Chapman, but almost as good as Chapman. It really only, is almost good. As the only yeah. negative is is his his pitching style. With that hanging arm, is just it, it, it makes me crazy. I want to take like a uh, BB gun and take shots at it. It's I know, just, but I think I think you know. You're, as we get to know him, I think you're going to like him because he's a good know, guy. I know he's that. a good guy. I listen to him in his press conference. I like what he's all about. And the thing is, like, you know, he's 31 years old. Right. Okay, 333 saves. I know with a I career know. ERA under two, which is the best for anybody yeah. that has 300 saves. That's even, be, that's even better than Mariano Rivera. Yeah. So he'll be able to help us. He really yes. will. Yeah. If, well, I mean, come on now. It's, <laughs> it's so bad. Anything yeah. would be good. Uh, any, anything would be good. It, when Carl Edwards throws a, a shutout inning, I, I like, you know, jump for joy a little bit because it's so unusual. Well, and, 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 and consider this. I mean, C-Shack is, is a pretty good pitcher when he has the rest 
that allows him to sort of get hitters out. And so, not the pressure that he's yeah. under as sometimes as a closer. He needs to be a seventh, just like Edwards. Edwards yeah. is a seventh inning pitcher. They, know your roles and assume the position. And I think Kim, Kimbrell, Kimbrell does, is really, really going to change the face of our bullpen. And it's much needed because our division is the tightest division in baseball. I, I really look forward to learning how to spell his name properly, though. Is it K-I-N-B-R-E-L-L? No, it's E-L. I changed it in the show notes for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it is sad that, that it, the Cubs are going to benefit from Ben Zobris's divorce. Uh, but, if but he that, doesn't come back. Doesn't I, come back. I, I would love to have him come back. I would love to see the Cubs have to pay both players. But – if it yeah. doesn't happen, then basically Kimbrel is a wash for, for Zobris. I make that move every day of the week. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, so uh, Cubs draft uh, Ryan Jensen with the 24th pick in the draft. Pat, a pitcher. Patrick, a pitcher. And this is unusual. This yep. is sort of a – this is deviating from the sort of method that they've operated under with the draft for the last few years. They went after – because they usually go after their best position players. Hitters. Hitters, hitters, position players, guys who they can help them offensively. Yeah. They have not been able to develop pitchers. This is the first time they've used a high draft pick on a pitcher. I like it. I, I think this guy is going to be good. I, I like it too. And you, you know, you cite the the article uh, from the Athletic, which is you know one of the best. Uh, I, I yeah. just can't speak highly enough of of them, and it's worth paying for. That's how good it is. Um, but. They, they point out the fact that since they picked Schwarber um, going back, I think, four or five years ago when they first picked Schwarber back in 2014, I believe, um, the Cubs have been criticized for their analysis on pitching when it came, yeah. came to the draft. Not on the hitting side. They've been quite good at it, but except Ian Happ notwithstanding, because I think that potentially is going to be a bust. But the, the reality is they haven't done a very good job on the pitching side, so they went out and overhauled. Their um, scouts, their um, you know the team, the teams that are actually those advanced teams that are out there working on um, the 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 high school players and 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 they see something in Jensen, and the athletic points out that the Cubs' uh, well-known pitching lab is going to come into play. It, they don't know whether he's going to be a starter or whether he's going to be a closer. He projects as a, as a reliever. Yeah. Right. They see something with this guy, and something tells me within a couple of years, Jensen will be a household Cubs name. Well, he throws close to 100 miles an hour. So, right, you know, right. and so they love, the, you know, teams love to get velocity. So yep. I think it's a good move. And, you know, when you're not drafting first, when you have to draft like 28th, I mean, you know, it, uh, <laughs> right. it, it matters. All right. So, hey, now, so um, uh, uh, before we get into the Cubs, uh, weekly games. I just yeah. wanted to take a moment and talk about over the last week and then prior to that, I've been extremely critical of uh, our two of our most veteran starting pitchers, um, John Lester and Cole yeah. Hamels. And in fact, I believe last Sunday I proclaimed that they could be on the downside and we might be struggling a little bit, which is why I thought maybe they should make a play at uh, Dallas Keuchel. Um well, um, just like a lot of my malapropisms that occur while we're, while we're doing this show, I go back and listen and cringe sometimes. Lester and Hamels this past week have pitched brilliantly. Yeah, they have. And they have. I, I just want to be the first to say that what the hell was I thinking? 
I mean, the fact of the matter is these are two veteran near Hall of Fame pitchers, and uh, they're going to do what they do. on uh, before. So Hamels pitched really, really well this week. He oh, basically yeah. – now, granted, he got to face the Cardinals twice, I think, but uh, he uh, – he, he, he just – he looked really, really well. And we'll talk about last night's game, which I thought was one of the best pitch games of the year by John Lester after that first inning. I oh, thought, absolutely. absolutely. So, so, anyway, all I want to say is mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. I was – as the Fonz used to say. Are you saying the Fonz is <laughs> – <laughs> The thing is, Tom, when you eat your crow, do you like to get – is it organic? Is it local? No, well, I put a ton of hot sauce on it so that, that – <laughs> That, that kind of that makes the taste go away a little bit. All right, I so let's go back to the week that was for the All Cubs. Right. And we'll go back to last Sunday where they lose 2-1 to one to the Cardinals in St. Louis. Yeah, a month ago, the, the Cubs swept the Cardinals at Wrigley Field and knocked them out of first place. Now the Cardinals return the favor. Cole Hamels, again, as you just said, he pitched brilliantly, allowed yep. a single unearned run in seven innings. He's the hard luck loser. Wayne Wright yeah. pitched better. Wayne Wright was better. brilliant. That yeah. I watched that the whole game, yeah. and uh, it just looked like again, it looked like it was six or seven years ago. Two front line starters, head to head, mano to mano, and uh, and, and uh, the lines, Cardinals you know. won. But the the Cubs just cannot get a hit with runners in scoring position. And well, lately, they, lately, they, lately. I mean, until, but, until but, last night. <laughs> but that last game in St. Louis, I mean, they were one and six over the mm-hmm. course of that week. It was a That's terrible right. week. Correct. But then things start to improve Big as time. we as we go to Monday in Chicago. The Cubs beat the Angels eight to one. Thirty nine thousand fans show up at Wrigley for an afternoon makeup game on a Monday against the Angels. Carlos Gonzalez, the old lion from the from the Colorado Rockies, makes his debut in right field and gets a single and makes a brilliant catch. This was a great game. It, it was. Now, I'm not so surprised by the 39,000, and that is because this was a makeup game yeah. of a sold-out game. And any time that Mike Trout comes to town. Which is if, never. Which is, right. you know. Well, it's basically going to be every six. Like, the next time that you see him, he'll be starting to, to you know. Yeah. He'll he's, be in his he's still a young guy. We'll see him one more time, but that will probably be the last time. So, I think that plays a role. Um, but I just wanted to talk for a second about uh, cargo, Carlos yeah. uh, Gonzalez, who was released by the Indians, which is inexplicable to me because while I agree, his bat speed is not what it was, and he's going to bat around two or two twenty. The leadership that he provides on the team and his defense is just, and he's going to hit every once in a while a monstrous home run. All I could say is, this this Kelso, you better look behind your back because, dude, right now. You're gonna soon. You're gonna be the odd man out on this team, and I don't. And you, you said he's out of options, but if, if you said to me, who would you rather have, Cargo or or Descalso? I take Cargo all day, every day. So I, um, I like Cargo a lot. I still think that uh, Descalso will contribute in significant ways. Yeah, he'll contribute team. by like going out and like uh, raking the field, picking up the <laughs> balls. Yeah. All right. So moving on to Tuesday, the Cubs beat the Rockies six to three. Kyle Hendricks is solid as he's been all year. Allows, the professor. The professor allows uh, three runs in seven innings. Again, Carlos Gonzalez gets an RBI double off the center field wall. Baez and Schwarber go deep. You know, another just solid win for the Cubs, two in a row. <laughs> well, Kyle Hendricks is our best pitcher right now, and that's saying something because we've it got is. some really good 
good starters. It's nothing against Quintana or the rest or, or yeah, even Lester Hamels, but, but Hendricks is so dialed in. And as we've discussed before, he, he's so he's such a master at who his opponent is that he doesn't have anywhere close to having the best stuff. In, in, in fact, most all uh, frontline starters in the major leagues have better stuff than Hendricks, but he's smarter than them. And, and he pitches like Maddox. That's why I think Hendricks will be around a lot longer than many pitchers because he, he has the kind of delivery that doesn't really tax the shoulder and the arm like other pitchers you might see out there. But, I wish they could teach other pitchers to right, do what he does. Right, because right. because it, is, it is just brilliant you know, yep. to, to, to watch him pitch. All right, so Wednesday, Cubs 9, Rockies 8. This was a bit of a nail-biter. Yeah. David Bodie drives in seven runs right. with a single, a double, and a three-run home run. This was a wild one, and uh, the Cubs were lucky to win it, but uh, three in a row back in first place. I-, I thought this was maybe the most interesting game of the week until last night, which we'll yeah. talk about. And-, and it's because, as you said, this is a game that the Cubs probably should have lost. We-, we-, we, got- we-, we got lucky in this game. We really you know? did. We really um, did. Yeah. It- because at one point, we scored three. They scored three, and then we scored five. And so it, it, it was eight to three, and then they scored four in the seventh. <laughs> no, our no. relief pitchers are just – I, I they, forget who it was. It Ryan? No, no, no. It was Brock. It Brock. was Brock. And, yeah, right, Brock right. gave up four runs in, yeah. in, in one-third uh, worth of work. Um, and then – but Edwards p- pitched, pitched his ass off in that game, and then Cishek yeah. got the save. But I thought that was a really interesting game uh, because no, they was. probably shouldn't have won it. No, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. They should not have won it, but they did, and that's the that's good for us. Now that brings us to Thursday. The Rockies beat the Cubs three to one. The Cubs miss out on the sweep. Yep. Right-handed pitcher Peter Lambert makes his major league debut for the Rockies. He allows a single run in seven innings. Is he that good, or or were the Cubs hitters just unfamiliar with him? I think it's it's more the latter. That, 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 you know, that anytime you bring in uh, pitchers like this where they don't really have the film and they don't have, they don't, it, beyond the film as hitters, they don't have the experience facing off with, uh, against them. I watched some of the game. I don't think there's anything particularly extraordinary about the guy, but, you know, he, he did pitch seven innings and struck out nine. He didn't pitch, he didn't throw 100 pitches. They just, they just couldn't get around on him. Uh, and the reality is when Diaz and Ober came in to close the game, for the Rockies, they couldn't hit them either. So yeah, right, maybe the Cubs right. were just asleep at the switch on Thursday night. I don't know. Put it behind you. All you can do. So, so that Thursday us... during the day was that a day game? That might have been a day game. Yeah, it was a day game. It was a day game because I actually considered going to it. All right, so that brings us to Friday. Cubs right. beat the Cardinals three to one. Cole Hamels throws eight innings, allows four hits and no runs. Baez with a first inning home run. Great way to start the weekend against the hated division rival <laughs> yeah you know it, it's so interesting that and i don't know whether it's because the the there's a little bit of a diversion from st louis because the blues potentially could win the stanley cup tonight and yeah. i know a lot of their fans are focused on that but it hasn't had the feeling of a normal uh cubs uh cardinal rivalry so far this year as it was pointed out the home team has won every game yeah uh, that's that, right that's in right. the in the series but it, um so you know, Hamels was just magnificent. He was. I mean, and and I don't, and 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 that's back to back starts against the Cardinals. That's not easy. You're now seeing the same hitters for the seventh, eighth time in a row. Because as was pointed out last night by uh, 
by Ju- uh, my favorite Jub Jub. Uh, uh, what's Joe his Buck? name? Joe yeah, Buck. Yeah, Joe Buck. That um, they have the fewest amount of different lineups the Cardinals do. So basically, you're seeing the same same lineup every single night with the Cardinals. Um, and so for Hamels to pitch the way he's pitched, I mean, it's very, very encouraging. Um, it really is. And that brings us to last night's game. Right. Uh, it was an unusual Saturday night game at Wrigley yep. Field, probably something to do with the Fox coverage. But Lester <laughs> gives up four runs in the first inning, and then he settles down and allows nothing more through six. And then the Cubs kind of chip away at Flaherty, and then Schwarber ties things up with a rocket to the left yep. field bleachers after an 11 pitch at bat. Then the Cubs jump on Gant, you know, victorious Caratini hits a three run double uh, pitch yeah. hitting. Just, just a great game. You know? Well, I wanted, I, this was one of my favorite games of the season. And I think while Lester's pitched way better games, yes. this was his best pitching performance because in that first inning, he looked like a rag doll. They were just absolutely crushing him. Ozuna hit the home run. I mean, it looked bad. For, for You know, he was at 30-some pitches or 28 or 30 pitches in the first inning. And for him to pitch the, the rest of the way as well as he did, to me, it, the only game that was better was when Hendricks threw the Maddox. Yeah, and, and, right. and, that, and that was a tremendous game. But Lester really pitched his ass off last night. And – that game had a little of everything as for a Cubs fan. This is the kind of game that reminded me of the final game of the, of the 2016 World Series in the sense that the offense was ultimately firing on all cylinders. You know, the one thing is, is, is Flaherty is a really good young pitcher, but he just didn't have it last night. He, no. he didn't have location. And the other thing, too, you know, you talk about those Fox announcers. Those guys were actually not so annoying last night. They, they actually no. were kind of insightful. Um, Smoltz, for some reason, is just getting quieter and quieter in the booth. And there's been some. There was a New York Times article, I think, this week where they criticized him for not for being too low energy. Um, uh, but I thought, they, I thought they did a really good job uh, talking uh, about uh, what was kind of going on on the field. And I thought, I thought that umpire, who I think his name was Gonzalez. Um, was was squeezing the pitchers at different oh, times, both, both in the first couple of innings. I know when first of all, John Lester. I know you're a big daddy veteran, but I don't understand what value you get at shaking your head at the umpire when you do it. <laughs> you do it frequently. There's times where you're punching your glove and you're looking at the the umpire like, "Hey, don't you know? Don't go to sleep tonight." You know that. Well, he- that he's got to get that pitch on the outside corner. He has I mean, to, right? Right, right at the knees. And if he doesn't get it, he's going to struggle. And uh, he wasn't getting it in the first inning. It led to some runs. He, he started to kind of figure out where this guy's strike zone was, and that allowed him to stick around through six innings. But, uh, well, but you know, was a really the thing game. is that Lester is like a lot of pitchers. He reminds me a little bit psychologically uh, of my old Tiger pitcher, Jack Morris. When Jack Morris would pitch, even, even Sparky would tell you, don't talk to him. Don't sit next to him. He, he's a he's a disagreeable guy. He might he might punch you. That's how dialed in yeah. he was. And I noticed there was a point in yesterday's game where Schwarber goes up and tries to tickle him almost. Yeah, but, yeah. And you can't do that when Lester's pitching. But as soon as he was out of the game, he was Mister Happy Go Lucky, you know, chatting it up. But when he's in that in that mindset that he's still yeah. the starter. <laughs> well, I'm glad he's on our team. I'll put it. I'll put it to you that. Well, way. he he really the, his his mental sort of I don't know fortitude is just amazing. I mean, his ability to concentrate, stay in the moment, 
do what needs to be done to win the game. I really, you know, but Schwarber was really fired up because his home run tied the game. It had taken yep. Lester off the hook. Right. For a possible right. loss. Right. So, you know, these things players care about. And I thought this was just brilliant. Did you read the article that I sent you about Derek Gould? Uh, yeah, because- we'll get to that in a second. But I just want to kind of talk about um, Vic Carantini because oh, yeah. uh, Victor Carantina, Carantini this uh, earlier in the season, prior to that injury that had him on the on the uh, going to to Illinois there for a couple of weeks, he yeah. really was really was doing a couple of things very well. One, his hitting was 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 right up there with the with the team leaders in the first part of you know the first few weeks in April. But he really you know the pitchers love him as a catcher. They do. Just so you know, they do. I've read that they like him better than Contreras in some instances. As um, far as being a receiver, yeah. yes, yes. And, and so it was great to see him with just you know that was that was just a beautiful hit that that, yeah, was. that he delivered was. with. Uh, I I don't know if there was two outs, but no. uh, I don't think there was two outs. No, actually. no, there but, wasn't but two the, outs. But right. the bases were loaded, and just that was just a uh, that was the straw that broke the Cardinals' back. It really was. It really was. But uh, I, I sent you an article by Derek Gould from yeah. the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which I love to read. It's called – it's a weekly column that yeah. all of the writers do called Quick Hits. Right. And uh, they take questions from Cardinal fans, and they sort of give long answers to. And, uh, you know, one fan had called, uh, written in questioning why Gant was throwing all or, – or Hicks was throwing all these sliders instead of yeah. going with his fastball. And, and Gould had a great answer, and he yeah. said that – the Cubs are really, really, really good at figuring out pitchers that they see a lot. Yeah. And, you know, and the Cardinals are aware of that. And, uh, and, and the game last night was evidence of that. They jumped all over camp. I, I don't like to see that publicized, but I think it's pretty well known in baseball that the Cubs prepare for their opponent as well as anybody in the major leagues. They actually have an official process that's involved in how they analyze the pitchers that they have to face, the hitters that they have to face. And this just kind of shows you that, you know, and it's kind of, it comes into play against Milwaukee as well, because that's another team that they see quite often of just how prepared they are um, for, or, yes. for who their, who their, their opponents are and how they attack that. And I remember seeing Hicks throw those sliders. And I remember when that was going on, I was like, dude, eventually you keep, you throw 10 sliders in a row Every major league hitter is going to get one of them because yeah. the slider is not a curveball. Curveball is much harder to hit than a slider. But when someone's looking for a slider, sometimes that, those are some of the longest home runs you'll see. That's so, true. They're like cement uh, mixers. All right. So let's move on to this week in baseball history. All right. Uh, all right. June 3rd, 1921. Crip Polly strikes out 28 batters in a 10-inning contest wow. against Cushing Academy at Mountaineer Recreation Field in Montpelier, Vermont. The Goddard Seminary students' performance highlighted in Ripley's Believe It or Not is no fluke, and the high school pitcher will fan 105 batters in a five-game span. Wow. That's a good little At, at any level, that, that's, any that's level. impressive. Did, did that pitcher make the major league? I did not see anything about him making the major league. So you're league not season. prepared for the show? Is that what you're telling me? No, yeah, no. <laughs> no, I did look around, and, and, uh, and I didn't find some stuff. I didn't find anything that showed that he'd pitched. But, uh, Interesting. Anyway, all right. June 4th, 1974. 
10 cent beer night at Cleveland Municipal oh, yeah. Stadium. Oh, I remember this. <laughs> 60,000 cups of beer are sold to a crowd of 25,000. <laughs> the Indians are forced With a to combined forfeit. IQ of 127. <laughs> and the Indians forfeit the game due yep. to the unruly behavior of the fans. Yes. Nestor yes. Shylock, the umpire, stops to play with the score tied in the bottom of the ninth, giving the Rangers the victory. The, the Indians in the 70s, the Indians fans, were some of the rowdiest fans in baseball. Okay, so there there was a ripple effect of this. Immediately, um, the rules in the center field bleachers of Detroit changed. We didn't have 10-cent beer night, but they they immediately changed how much could be consumed, and there were no promos like that because, quite frankly, the Indian fans are the Tiger fans or the White Sox fans or the the Philadelphia fans are basically working-class stiffs, and uh, especially back in those days when those teams were long-suffering, they didn't really have a lot to cheer about. No. Um, and uh, that was a very, very famous game in the 70s. And it kind, of, it, it, it kind of culminated in the end of the 70s with disco demolition. There was, yeah. and, and forevermore, you can't smoke in the stadium. You basically can't drink after the seventh inning. A lot of the rules that are in place today are um, because of these games. That's know, correct. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. All right. So this, this one, this is the last one I have. June 8th, 1952. Okay. So before the start of a doubleheader against the Reds, Dodger manager Chuck Dressen tells Cal Abrams that if he wants to stay with the team, the bench warmer will need to verbally taunt the, the skipper of the opposing club. Okay, He'll have to rip him and ride him and yell at him. So he doesn't want to do it, but the spare outfielder spends the entire first game of the doubleheader heckling the opponents, heckling their leader, and then at the end of the first game, He's informed by Dressen between the games that he's been traded to Cincinnati effective tomorrow and will have to report to his new manager, Rogers Hornsby, the man he had been, <laughs> he was told to ridicule. I mean, it, wow, wow. <laughs> Hornsby has kind of an interesting uh, story we can get into later. Like his, his son was a longtime uh, Chicagoan, Rogers Hornsby Jr., mm. who was also a pedophile. Um, so, uh, but that, that, it just kind of shows you just how brutal the business of baseball is. Um, and, and shame on you, Dresden. You knew all along that was happening. You knew uh, it was going to happen. And and, and you you were fucking with, uh, with Hornsby. Right. 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 But But, but you're really screwing with that. Yeah. yeah. Screwing with this, this player. I I just, I, I hate hearing stories like this, but, uh. But I'm not surprised because no. you can't, you can't, well, I think you can't imagine what, what Jackie Robinson went through. Yeah. You can, I mean, it, and, it, and it's just ridiculous the way that, that, that how things other than baseball right. are allowed to enter in, I don't know, to the, to, to the actions of players and managers. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Yep. It really is. All right. Well, that's uh, it. On that note. <laughs> yeah, on that note. You know, looking forward to seeing the Cubs tonight. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy to be out of school. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. Me too. Right. I'm just happy to be out of jail. So uh, <laughs> have a great week, and we'll chat next week. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, Bye-bye. over now.